politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, independent conservatives, and cheated Americans to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house on Thursday here at Blaze Media. And folks, look, if nothing else, the good news is COVID fascism is out of the headlines. I mean, remember I told you from day one, early on months ago, that had we not invented social media, had this been, I don't know, 2003 or something, in most parts of the country, most of the time, you wouldn't even know there's something going on. It's amazing to watch the power of the cultural elite, the ruling class, to focus people's attention on where they want it directed. So now that we're all uh, looking at dashboards of election returns, we're not looking at dashboards of people supposedly dying every second from a virus, and suddenly it disappeared. But then again, that's the name of the game here. See, it's only a problem the way it's a problem, where it's a problem, when it's a problem, when they say it's a problem. And that's why many of you saw CDC put out on election day that it's okay to go vote. It's okay to go vote. Even when you're not feeling well. You can't earn a living. You have to have your lives shut down. Oh, but you can go and vote. Yes, 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 because they knew. And it's funny, like, why wouldn't you give that scientific medical guidance earlier on? I mean, you want to make sure people know the truth, the importance of exercising your right to vote um, and make sure COVID is, is just destroying everything. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, because they saw in those final days, there's something off with our polling data. And we got to make sure our guys aren't scared away because we did such a good job in turning them off. So that's an interesting thing. And just to elaborate on what I was talking about yesterday, with the broader problem that we are cheated with everything. Everything is a lie. Everything is a Neil Ferguson Imperial College of London model. They lie about human sexuality. They lie about the freaking weather. They lie about the virus. Everything that is put out from so-called technological, scientific, medical, legal institutions is just fraudulent. So now we know, and and look, when it comes to elections, it's nothing new. I mean, this, this dates back to 1960, really. When we know Nixon won, he accepted the results. But you know what? I'm actually in a good mood. I wound up taking an hour and a half nap yesterday after being up all night. And then I slept, you know, pretty decently last night. So now now I feel back in my element. And the more I have time to digest what has happened, what's going on, the more I'm actually very happy. You see, here we were kind of agonizing over what to do. On the one hand, I didn't I didn't want Biden and the Democrats to really surge and them to be emboldened. But on the other hand, I was scared that, you know, another Trump win would just keep our people 
quiet when no matter what, we need a revolution, a counter-revolution. We've already had a revolution the last number of years, and now we need a revolution against the revolution. And, And I was scared that Trump's presence as the leader and certainly winning unexpectedly in an upset would just basically nourish our base with empty calories rather than directing them to where their focus and energy needs to be. But now I'm actually very happy because this was the best outcome. Regardless of where the mechanics of this winds up going, the count, the politics of it, and we'll, we'll get into some of the specifics. I want to divide some of our time in the coming days between the long-term vision and the short-term, as we always do. But regardless of the outcome, I think, if nothing else, there are several really terrific things here. Number one, this keeps people activated. Just my family and friends are texting me every second. Typically, the second an election is over, they lose interest. We need to be focused. We need to be focused on the off-season. This has always been the problem. Democrats are always operating on the off-season, whether it's election law, ballot harvesting. You know, When we come to election time, we're all like, oh my gosh, what do we do? They have all these tricks up their sleeve. Yeah, they were building that for two years while you were sleeping. So if nothing else, at least it has awoken us from the slumber. The morphine wore off. And we feel the jab of the needle in our skin. That in itself is a good thing. Number two, it's going to break the paradigm of us accepting things that we knew long before this election were problematic. I was yelping about this for years, the same way I've been yelping about, dude, we're losing our sovereignty. Dude, like... Criminal aliens are getting standing in court. If we don't watch out very soon, we're going to have a Roe v. Wade sort of ruling on immigration, and you're no longer going to be able to have immigration laws. And the same thing was happening happening with election laws. The courts were voiding out election laws, one after another. You have to have same-day registration, this type of early voting, ballot harvesting. Whatever the Democrats want to do to get their votes... That's codified into the 14th Amendment. And more and more, this has been a big problem. And we just let it go. We laugh about it. We sneer about the inner city problems where, you know, people are too scared to even walk around the area, much less go into these precincts and watch what's going on. We always knew this was a problem. And we never did anything about it. But with a country so divided and elections so close, we can no longer afford to just write that off as the cost of doing business. Number three, what I'm looking forward to is Republican crowds chanting, I should say conservative crowds chanting, in Maricopa County, Fox News sucks. I mean, look, this whole thing would have been worth it just for that. Men have I been trying to wake people up for, for years that Fox is a more subversive and perfidious cancer on our people, on our base, on our movement than anything the left could do to us. Because it changes the way conservatives think about themselves. It, it alters 
the issues that they think about, the focus, the priorities. Whereas MSNBC might say we're nothing but fecal matter. Fox will tell us the fecal matter on us is really water. Go drink it. They'll convince us that something is conservatism or good for conservatism that's really toxic. They serve as the gatekeepers for who is a conservative movement figure and who is not. Who gets focus in primaries and who doesn't. You know, I don't care. I mean, I, I want people to tune into our network. And, and again, we have a special election offer. If you go to Blaze TV forward slash CR, put in promo code Daniel, get $30 off your annual subscription. It'll come out to less than six bucks a month. But look, you know, I'll, I'll say you want to go to one of the other outlets, go to that too. I mean, just don't go to Fox. So Trump destroying Fox would be worth it much more than a second term. And moreover, just getting our people on the streets. And I want to come back to this, hold that thought a little bit later for what I see in the future. The boundless opportunities that we have to harness this newfound energy that seems to be more sustained than ever and is only getting rejuvenated now. But let's go a little bit into what's going on and the way I see the electorate. Looking broadly at what happened Tuesday night, a picture starting to develop in my mind. I watched this very carefully, the polling, why I thought the polling was wrong, exactly the way I thought the electorate was turning out. And in many ways, it turned out exactly the way I predicted But then in certain bizarre ways, it flipped. But in a way that is mathematically improbable and defies the principles of political science. Generally speaking, this was a very good election for Republicans. People don't realize that. If you look at the map being generated by the voter fraud, and flipping of Georgia, or you know, even if they hold on, it'll be very narrow. And the really razor-thin margin in North Carolina. And then, you know, you look at obviously Wisconsin and and uh and Michigan and what we will likely start seeing in Pennsylvania, but most prominently really in Minnesota, it just flies in the face of what we saw. It appears now that Democrats will likely not flip a single seat in the House. Everyone thought, oh, they would flip 10 seats. You know, that's what Larry Sabato predicted. They will fail to have defeated a single Republican. They will net two seats because of the, as we talked about yesterday, the judicial gerrymander in North Carolina. So they just, you know, redrew the districts and got two, two free seats from it. Because the court said, you know, we like Democrats, so here's here's an extra two seats. And Republicans, it turns out, looks like they flipped about eight, nine seats. And they're ahead in another six or seven of them. That's awfully close to what you need to flip the House. Now, look, 
they're going to lose every single one of the ones they're ahead with because anything that goes over election night, the mail-ins, the whole game, we, we, we get that. So before just I go into the analysis, I just want to point out here, the Republicans are so impotent and pathetic, they probably could have had a legitimate shot at flipping the House, but they, they refuse to put in money, effort, strategy, and more better recruitment because they believe the same stupid polls as the Democrats. They literally thought they were losing too. That tells you something about all these people. Like, we know Republican consultants don't believe in anything. But at least you'd think you'd want, you'd want to be good at what you're doing, electing Republicans, even if they're stupid Republicans, rhinos. So that's another thing. They just left that on the table. But anyway, in general, this was a good election for Republicans. It seemed to work out. It looks like now they would have picked up probably probably over 100 state legislative seats. And that's also very important I want to talk about. So it doesn't jive with the results we are seeing. You look in Pennsylvania, you look in Michigan and Wisconsin, and they generally did very good. Most prominently, you look in Minnesota, and they did very well. They flipped two house seats in Minnesota, but they lost. Trump lost by seven points. In the presidential election. That's Romney's numbers. Hold that thought for a minute. So let's zoom out broadly. What was bothering me about the election. I think what bothered all of us. Is that Trump overperformed. He won by a great. He won Florida. By a greater margin than Obama did in 2008. When he won a landslide national election. Now. Okay, we're willing to allow that Florida is its own animal to a certain extent. We understand that. And we understand that the Sun Belt is its own system. The Sun Belt is different than the Rust Belt. And in general, Trump is trading coalitions. And while he's gaining in the Rust Belt, he's bleeding in the Sun Belt. We, we get that. But before we get to the Rust Belt, I do want to say that the polling deviations... Remember I posted that morning of the election day. I said, wait a minute. If you take the margin that the RCP averages in the states were off by in 2016, you plug them in to this year's RCP averages, I said, you don't have to have the polls off any more than they were last time. If it's the same deviation, here's what should work out. And something funny seemed to happen. In all of the states where Republicans control, with the exception of one, but I'm going to get to that in a minute, with the exception of one, they seem to hold that. Hold the predictions that we were predicting. But in all of the other states... It seemed to flop. 
and something didn't jive. So basically, you look at Georgia, you look at North Carolina. We know they're not the states they used to be. But Trump seemed to be on track for more of a three to four point margin in North Carolina. At least where he was last time. With the lower black turnout. Or supposedly lower black turnout. Yet he, you know, only appears to have won by 1.4. And of course, they're still playing games with that. They won't call it for him. You look in Georgia. Now, North Carolina is controlled by Democrats at an executive level. Georgia has a Republican governor, but um, he appears to be uh, in, the, in a witness protection program. I happen to know this from the criminal stuff, the persecution of the police by the Fulton County uh, DA. We talked about that at the time a couple months ago, the BLM stuff. He was completely MIA. Like he is, Atlanta Metro is essentially its own state. He has no control over it. He's, he's just like, you know, that is, may as well be a Democrat state. So just, you know, I put that in the Democrat pile. We knew, you know, he won Georgia by last time by five. It's gradually bleeding. We knew he would recede a little bit. But the numbers from Trafalgar and WSB, which is the gold standard there, and they get it right, and Trafalgar got, every, got most other things right, it should have been three, four, maybe say three, two and a half. But it's likely that even if they fail to cheat, like full, like fully cheat to win with their cheating, he's going to win by like seven, ten thousand votes, Trump. So hold that thought. Now Arizona is controlled by Republicans, and you know, in the end, if you know they claim the Trump campaign that they have enough votes that they'll win very narrowly, a narrow win. I mean, I thought he would win by a few points in the end. But, I mean, that that does make sense if you look at the polling averages I had with the deviations from four years ago. It would jive. And again, Martha McSally was a huge drag, horrible candidate. Unlike with John James in Michigan, we'll talk about that. So it makes sense. But, so already I was a little bit surprised by what I saw going on with Georgia and North Carolina. But where it really gets screwy is when you look at the Rust Belt. Because everyone agrees, okay, he's bleeding in the Sun Belt. But in the Rust Belt, that's where you had the coalition. And and the problem with the Rust Belt is, so the Rust Belt was the perfect storm. Because those are the larger share of the pie that are non-college whites. And then you have a lot of blacks where we knew that the turnout was down in this election, or was supposed to be, based on all the hard metrics we seem to see. And certainly Trump was just winning historic margins with non-college educated whites. And there are suburbs everywhere in every state, and certainly in the Rust Belt, but they don't predominate as much as in these growing suburban sprawls outside of Metro Atlanta and, you know, Raleigh and Charlotte and Phoenix. And Trump should have been in position to do at least as well as he did last time. 
just from a political science standpoint, I wasn't thinking about voter fraud at all. It wasn't on my mind. I had forgotten about the whole mail-in scheme they had. I was just, you know, focusing on, you know, looking at the returns, seeing what was going on. And it seemed everything seemed to jive until it didn't. Turns out Trump did Trump crushed it in Iowa and Ohio. Okay? Iowa and Ohio. Trump appears to be have performed even better than last time in Ohio. He won McComig County. That's Youngstown. It's unbelievable. Obama won it by like 30, 35 points. I mean, that was the FDR coalition. I mean, to flip Young's, he did very well last time. This time he flipped it. Ohio is really where we saw it. The black turnout was down. Okay? Cleveland turnout was under 60%. Black turnout down. In general, the exit polls seem to all show, and all of the pre-election polls, even the ones that were bad for Trump, that he was at least pulling 3 to 5% better, certainly not worse, with the black voters. So it seemed to make sense that you're doing slightly better than before with um, non-college educated whites. You obviously bled already with the suburban voters. Maybe you could show your, there's a little bit more room to lose and that he lost in Hamilton County, you know, out of Cincinnati, let's say. And then you have the lower black turnout plus slightly better margins for him. And that's how you get the result in, in, in Ohio that's even better than 2016, right? And in Iowa, the same deal. Meaning, if you wanted to portend where, eh, Daniel, I don't know, this is not 2016, it's, uh, it looks like he's going to lose, you would have started to see maybe carries Iowa and, and Ohio, but barely. So then you know, okay, so then you extrapolate that to the big three, or you want to add in Minnesota, the other, the other Rust Belt slash upper Midwest states, that portends a loss. But we didn't see that. We saw spectacular wins for Trump there. And again, very much in line with the deviation from the other polls or with the on-target poll of the Des Moines Register, which almost always gets it right. They got it right last time. They got it right this time. Then you move on to the more contested states. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. And each one is a little bit of a different story, but there's a similar theme. And the theme is, number one, unlike Ohio and Iowa, which are under the auspices of Republicans, those states are controlled by Democrats, at least at an executive level. In terms of the you know the Board of Elections, Secretary of State. And they were also the firewall state. So, you know, in, in the last few days when the, the, even the Biden campaign realized, whoa, we lost control of this. This is no longer a landslide. We can no, no longer even guarantee a win. You're not going to focus on Ohio and Iowa. You got to go, go with the firewall. 
which are, you know, those four states you got to win. Now, what's funny is, even within those states, one out of the four, you see the dynamic of Ohio and Iowa naturally playing out. Pennsylvania. Again, Trump is doing even better in the rural areas. He did slightly better in Allegheny County, Pittsburgh. A little bit of give and take in Scranton and Harrisburg. The suburbs are always a slaughter in recent years, but it wasn't worse. It was roughly in line with 2016. And the turnout in Philadelphia certainly wouldn't be higher relative to the rest of the state. And if Trump's doing better with blacks, the haul, the net haul that Democrats are slated to get from it is not going to be better than last time. So the formula, Trump, I mean, what did he win Pennsylvania by 40,000 or 60,000 last time? I forget. It portended a win of for Trump for at least 100,000. He was going to do better. That's what should have happened. I've been watching that map for 20 years. The Santorum races, the Toomey versus Specter primary, you know, and then the presidential elections when we're agonizing. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh darn it, we don't have the margins. At the end, Philadelphia comes in and we don't have the margin to overcome. And we looked at it. I was on the phone with my brother. It's our election night tradition. We're on the phone together for hours late into the night. This dates back to 2000. You know, and and we do this every time together. And my brother's like, we got the margins. There's no, it's not even close. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm still worried. I'm worried about, you know, Chester and and um, certainly Montgomery and Delaware counties. It's going to be a bloodbath. And we looked at, no, I mean, you know, they're they're not doing well there. But that that's already baked into the cake. He didn't do any worse. And Philadelphia shouldn't be that bad. And indeed, the election day vote did come in and it reflected Philadelphia reflected Cleveland and Chicago, the other Rust Belt black cities. And it was kind of down. Certainly wasn't blowout things. And indeed, that has held, which is why Trump is still ahead. Now, they're going to get it down with these magical election, post-election Mail-ins that, that, are, that are all, you know, as, as many of you have seen last night, a batch of 23,277 votes came in from Philadelphia, and every single one was for Biden. By the way, just so you know, mathematically, even if you would give Biden a 99% chance of winning every Philly vote, which it's not, it would be more like 80%, um, and Trump did a little better, but let's say 99%, it would be 0.0000, 100 zeros past the decimal point, 251% for that type of thing to, to occur. Um, you know, I mean, even even like Kim Jong-un would, would put in a couple of votes for, for a challenger just to show some, some sort of legitimacy. But I want to be very clear, they did not have the apparatus for whatever reason. I do not sense more than usual election day fraud in Pennsylvania. This is going to be very important. It's post-election that they're playing games with. So notice he's holding. Notice that if you look look at the formula of the Rust Belt, elections are generally symmetrical. They don't occur in a vacuum. 
where you do amazing with the same demographic in one place, but somehow the other place is different. Like it doesn't work that way. You could do worse in, in you know in a Sun Belt and better in the Rust Belt, but the the states are going to be symmetrical. So Pennsylvania is actually very much on par. Looking at what we saw in Ohio and Iowa, I would expect Trump to win Pennsylvania, not by 40,000, but a little better than he did last time, maybe at least 100,000 votes. And that's what it should hold by. But of course, they're going to post-election, and that, 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 that's basically with their, with their garbage. Then we move on to Wisconsin and Michigan and Minnesota. And that's where you see this mathematically impossible election day insanity. Where basically you're seeing turnout numbers and black vote shares in Milwaukee, in Detroit, and in the Twin Cities area in Minnesota that fly, that defy everything we see everywhere on the Rust Belt in the country, basically everywhere where the Democrats didn't need to get it done with the black vote. Except for Atlanta, and I, and I now wonder in retrospect, even in North Carolina, I now wonder, because the margin is a little bit, I, I can't say for sure, I don't have evidence of anything wrong in North Carolina, just because it looks like Trump's going to win, so no one's digging into it. But I do wonder, now that we know for sure there's problems in the upper Midwest. It was the funniest thing. Dave Wasserman from Cook Political Report. He's one of the gatekeepers on Twitter. He inadvertently proved our point. But again, these guys are so dense. Like, they have no problem with it. Like, Nate Silver announced, you know, know, 23,277 votes for Philadelphia. All of them are for Obama. He wasn't, uh, for, for Biden, he wasn't making fun out of it. He wasn't making a joke. He was very serious about it. So it's the same thing here. Dave Wasserman tweeted out, Wayne County, Michigan, that's Detroit, is now reporting 863,000 ballots counted. 11% vote growth over 777K cast in 2016, despite a shrinking population. Do we really think turnout in Philadelphia with a slightly growing population would be flat from 2016? I'm skeptical. Now, what he's trying to say is, He's he's not saying in the past, he's saying in the future, he's prognosticating the way the count is going to go in Pennsylvania and why he thinks Trump's going to, uh, Biden's going to win. He's like, no, we're going to see in Philadelphia what we saw in Wayne County. And he didn't mention this, but also in Milwaukee, where we had an amazing black turnout and then and the, the margins that were that Biden hauled from those areas with the mail-ins is going to be replicated in Philly. So he's like, I don't see how the turnout should be down. The problem is we already see from the election day vote it was down. And from the baseline mail-ins. Now, they might juice it up with the extra mail-ins, but we already caught them. We already have a freeze frame where we see the turnout was in line with Cuyahoga, with Cleveland. Okay? Remember, it's not like Ohio wasn't billed as a swing state. We knew it was off the table, but 90% of the polls had Trump down even in Ohio. Remember in Iowa too, like 
Oh, they were saying the Des Moines Register is wrong. So in our minds, it wasn't a swing. In their minds, it was certainly a swing. And they thought Biden was going to win those states too. And in their mind, Biden was crushing it in Michigan, Wisconsin. It wasn't even a swing state. So there's no reason that the voters, the the black voters in Detroit and, and, um, what do you call it, Milwaukee, would have been more incentivized to vote than the ones in Cleveland. And again, you're seeing Philadelphia without this retroactive, you know, mail-in stuff tracked with it too. It was only in those counties, and in those counties, mind you, too, throughout election night. Trump wasn't doing that. It was it was following the exit polling data. Trump seemed to be doing better in Wayne and Milwaukee. The turnout wasn't that wasn't up that much commensurate with some of the you know near record turnouts in the rest of the state as it was in, in many other states. And and it jived with everything that everyone agreed to that Trump would do better in those areas than 2016, much less Obama's margins. Right. That that was obvious. I mean, Biden wasn't, you know, appealing to them like typical Democrats seem to be. And certainly not the historic um, mobilization that Obama uh, engendered in all these places. So that's what we were seeing. And we had in those states, unlike other states where they reported first all the the mail-ins and, and early vote and then all the election day in, in generally speaking. In Wisconsin and Michigan, it was uniform. They were mixing it together. And that's why, despite Trump getting demolished, even worse than last time, in Dane County, Wisconsin, that's uh, the Madison area, very, very, very liberal. A lot of liberal whites, too, not just a black population. So, like, Trump didn't get... Like the margins didn't even tilt, and that's with election day, but also mail ins from the like we know, yeah, we know that Democrats won mail ins a lot. We know that they put their electorate on it. We get that, but that was baked into the cake. And Trump always had a four point lead in throughout the night in Wisconsin, and what looked to be eventually a similar lead in in Michigan. And now we all knew. We never predicted Trump would win Michigan by and Wisconsin by four points. It would be, we thought, by like one point. But it would be more than like the razor thin 0.3, 0.5 or whatever. Last time he only won Wisconsin by 22,000. You see what I'm saying? That was the model it all jived with. We had election day voting. But the one thing that was held back in Wayne and Milwaukee was mail-in from those counties. Well, Daniel, they always come in later at night. Well, they do, and that's why the gap would be closed. But why only the mail-in? That's the election day. A normal election, it comes in. A lot of it already came in. Shut down the counting for a few hours, and suddenly we see the magical flip. And then what we see when you look total... Their numbers would demonstrate an 83% turnout in Milwaukee County. Folks, in, 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 um, in 2016, it was 61%. 
in 2012 with Obama's unbelievable, I mean, everyone marvels at his get out the vote operation, the boot, the manpower on the ground, the technology they harnessed. It was 68%, this time 83%. Okay? And there's similar numbers in Wayne County. So that's the story. Similar numbers there. What does that tell you? Let me give you a little different perspective here to look at it from a different a different angle. A little different angle. Remember I had a thesis leading up to the election. I said, you know what? Democrats screwed themselves over. They shifted their, I wouldn't say their entire electorate, but, but a good substantial portion of it to mail-ins. And I said, even if you have the best operation to do that, there is no way you could successfully convert a one-to-one ratio, much less a one-to-1.3 ratio, meaning doing better with that than traditional voting. It's like, there's no way you could do it. It's like, it's like a, a write-in candidate somehow doing better. I mean, okay, maybe write-in is a little bit harder, but you know, even the best operation, you're going to lose if you follow the rules, okay? A, they all have to mail it in. The signatures are verified. It follows state law. It follows the deadlines. There's no way you could do it. And indeed, that's what we saw in the state of Florida. In this state where not only do you have a Republican, but you have a Republican in DeSantis who doesn't put up with garbage, and he cleaned out the Broward County cesspool in the Board of Elections. So there's no games. The votes were counted expeditiously, like you would expect in a first world country. Third largest state in the country. It was counted and boom, 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 done. Urban, rural, suburban, in, done. And what we found was the Democrats cannibalized their election day vote. Yes, we know. We know that the mail-in ballots skew heavily towards the Democrats because of what they did this year. We know that. But they're skewing a two-thirds to one ratio, one-third ratio, and then they're skewing with 85%, or in some cases, perhaps 100%. And there's blowing out numbers. So it doesn't... I'm willing to say, look, I was wrong. Man, Democrats really were successful with their mail-ins. But in Florida, you see it didn't work. Suddenly, in those states... In Ohio, it didn't work. In Iowa, it didn't work. But somehow it works in Michigan and Wisconsin. And now retroactively, they're trying to make it work in Pennsylvania. But we see that the map really held up there. And possibly in Atlanta and some areas in North Carolina. There's one thing in common with all those states, by the way. A, Democrats have control, and B, those were the firewall states. You look at what's going on here. 
with the absentee ballot advantage. Okay? If you look at the retroactive ballots now in Pennsylvania, Biden is netting, Gino and Weiss put this out, a 57.7 advantage, like haul, <laughs> spread. Not meaning winning 57% of the vote. That's like you know, closer to 80% in Pennsylvania, 37.9 in Michigan. And every other state is much lower. Now, he doesn't have the data for Wisconsin. I'm going to try to get that. Something's really funny there. Okay? Very, very funny. Now, there's another piece of evidence I want to introduce before I move on to the final state. And that is, there appears to be a bunch of cases where Biden seems to be outperforming the Democrat Senate candidates suspiciously, and it would appear that there are a lot of ballots beyond the normal deviation that only have the presidential thing circled out and nothing else. Now, as we all know, you're going to have people that are not very sophisticated or care or into politics like, they care about the presidential election. I'm not going to bother with the rest of it. It happens. It certainly happens. But it's actually a pretty uniform statistic. So that's something we're looking into. But what we have so far is that Biden did 69,903 votes better than the Senate guy in Michigan. That's Gary Peters. He's incumbent. Obama did 170,000 worse in 2012 in Michigan, you know, w- w- relative to the Democrat Senate candidate. Biden did better. Something to watch. Something to watch. And I'm just going to say this, I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to put this in writing because this is pure speculation. Uh, just given everything else I'm saying, again, I'm starting to wonder about North Carolina because one of the shocking things I heard early in the night on election night that really just didn't sit right with me was that Tillis was outperforming Trump. And it just it just didn't that's not what we were seeing. I mean, there were times that the polls, but the, the, these were the bogus polls that proved to be wrong, like earlier on in the cycle were showing that, but not in the final week or two. Weren't showing that. Something to, to, to watch there. But with that, let me move on to one final state, and that is Minnesota. As you well know, I was very bullish on Minnesota, on Trump winning. You start to see the map. Trump holding Iowa, doing better in Ohio. Therefore, without the mail-in cheating, doing better in Pennsylvania. And what appeared throughout the night to be doing better in Michigan and Wisconsin. Well, that's a general view, not of the whole country, because he did worse in some places legitimately, but in the Rust Belt slash Upper Midwest of doing better than he did even last time, which from a political science perspective jives with all the other data we seem to know about Trump remaking the map. Doing worse in some places, doing better with 
the, the that is Trump's base. The states that have the highest proportion of non-college educated whites. And and which is why legitimately I never had any hope in New Hampshire because that's a very college educated state. Some of my friends were like, you know, putting their pre-election predictions. They thought, you know, among the people that thought Trump would do very well, they had him winning New Hampshire. I, I didn't think he would. But I had him winning Minnesota. And it turns out Trump lost by seven points. And I was like, like I'm thinking it would be like the equivalent of Biden losing Arizona by a larger margin than Obama did to Romney. Like I think I think Romney maybe won it by nine or ten, and then Trump only won it by five last time. And then obviously, no matter what, he was slated to to lose it by less this time. I mean, to do even worse. Minnesota is our Arizona. It's the mirror image. It's it's always it's constantly been realigning. Even before Trump, you know, Romney did better than McCain. There was this talk at the very end of them trying to campaign there, and I think they did try to put it on the map. Trump lost it by one point four. Now you want to say there's certain things, certain you know anomalies, reasons why not. So he he doesn't win it. Okay, I can understand. He does what he did last time, maybe even a little bit worse. You know, in my mind, you could see why I thought Trump would have enough to tip Minnesota based on what I predicted and what we seem to have seen from the map that makes sense. But to lose it by seven points? What's going on there? Well... We have Milwaukee, we have Detroit, but then we have Hennepin County. That's Minneapolis, and then you have Ramsey, which is St. Paul, and Washington County to the east, which is, again, those are the broader metro counties. Now you look at what happened there. So, you know, I was on the phone with my brother, and he's like, Daniel, Minnesota's not looking good. And I took a look. And I was like, well, no. I said, that that's all the early vote. You know, that's that's the early vote. The, the election day voting didn't come in yet. So, yeah, the Democrats are going to win that. But then I clicked on Hennepin County. I just clicked on it. And I saw, whereas all the big cities like, you know, Cleveland and, and, and Milwaukee. By the way, Milwaukee and Detroit at that moment in the night before the dump. And, and Philly... Trump was in the, you know, the, the Biden was in the low 60s. Here he was soaring in the 70s. I was like, what the heck? I was like, Trump is getting crushed in Hennepin. And that's what ultimately happened. He got crushed in Hennepin, he got crushed in Ramsey, and crushed in Washington. And I look back, and Biden did better in terms of the, both the margin over over his republican you know over trump but also the turnout levels then obama did with the black vote in either election 08 or or 12 and again that was that was that was pre realignment when minnesota was much more of a blue state 
I was like, what in the world? That that doesn't make any sense. I mean, that flies in the face of the exit polling data of Trump on the black vote. Well, where does that even come from? Now, I have to verify this, but a friend sent this to me. Hennepin had 90.3% turnout. Ramsey had 88.2%. Washington, 93.3%. Dakota is another Democrat county around there, 91.9%. Now, folks, notice Jason Lewis also, you know, I I think maybe with Jason, and and don't quote me on this, maybe it was a five and a half point, six point margin, slightly less than the Trump-Biden margin, but it was more than even the mainstream, but the mainstream polls already had that in play, like a three point margin, pollsters in Minnesota. Which is why I thought you look at the deviation of the the shy Trump vote that clearly everyone agrees now, even the other side admits uh, that Trafalgar was right about that. That's why I thought he should have won. But to lose by seven points and and for him to lose by six, it, it just doesn't jive. It just again, I'm not these are not legal arguments. You can't take that to court. You know, we have to find the ballots and start you know, pointing to what exactly went wrong. But I'm just, I wanted to give you a political science perspective on the map. Trump won Iowa by that much. See, look, if if Iowa was like a barely won, I was like, yeah, maybe something went wrong. But Iowa held from last time. And not only didn't Trump hold his margin in Minnesota, but he went backwards to Romney levels pre-alignment. Meaning what I'm trying to tell you is, even a not even a more traditional Republican who would have been on the ballot this year, that A has less of an appeal to white working class and B less of an appeal to that extra, let's say three to five percent black vote that went for Trump, he would have done better than seven point spread. He would have lost it by less than seven points. It just doesn't make any sense. And here's the final nail in the coffin. Republicans won. They flipped two seats in Minnesota. Okay? The only other state they did flip two seats that I could think of is Florida, where they did amazing. And they flipped two seats in Minnesota while losing it in a crushing way, slipping backwards all the way to pre-Minnesota realignment levels. Well, the answer, folks, is those districts weren't in those counties. (laughs) Those districts were elsewhere in the state. You tell me, you look at an aerial photo of neighborhoods in Minneapolis where the police station was burnt out, you see rubble. I don't even know where you vote in those areas. You mean to tell me there is anyone available in those areas that could be a poll watcher that could come out with his life intact? Something's funny about that. I can't look you in the eye and say, I think Trump won Minnesota the way I could tell you with other three states. But I will definitely tell you those turnout numbers reek And it doesn't make sense that he would have lost it by seven points. It defies everything we're seeing. 
Sure, you could do better in Arizona. I mean, worse in Arizona than we thought. You could do a little worse in Georgia than we thought. You could get blown out in Colorado even more than usual. That's not inconsistent with the map. But what went on in the Rust Belt and Midwest states that Democrats A, needed, and B, had control over, flies in the face of the realignment of the white working class voters and the low, generally relatively lower turnout of blacks relative to the rest of the population in this election and Trump winning more of the black vote. Because if you believe those numbers in those areas, Trump did worse than the Republicans did against Obama. Come on. It's funny. I meant to do an entirely different show today about the need to for a national divorce and the two-state solution. It's my column today. Maybe we'll get into that tomorrow. But I think it was worth spending the time. I want to give you, I want to open your minds. This is not a very specific mathematical legal challenge that I'm trying to pose today. But this is to lay the foundation. I'm asking questions. It just doesn't make sense. So folks, email me dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Discuss this at our Facebook pages, Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary and Miniman Speakeasy. Tweet me at Arm Conservative. Let me know what you think. Based on this, if you could extrapolate and formulate other questions, because we already know this from the COVID data, we live in a time where they there is nothing the other side will not do to get what they want. And we know that already. But folks, hopefully we have now reached a point where the days of us sitting back and taking it and not fighting back are over. Till tomorrow. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.